Hey friends, welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. My name's Matt. We're so glad you're tracking with us. Jesus Collective is a new relational network of churches and leaders with a vision to unite, amplify, and equip this Jesus-centered movement that God is raising up all over the place. During this pilot season, we're experimenting with different ways to build relationships with people in this movement, to put language to what Jesus-centered means, and to have meaningful and honest equipping conversations about the issues and opportunities facing our churches in this increasingly post-Christian context we find ourselves in. So, this podcast is one of those tools. You might find a number of different types of conversation formats shared here, and we hope you find it meaningful and engaging. You can learn more about us, join our mailing list, find information about upcoming online and in-person events, all that good stuff, at our microsite at JesusCollective.com, or you can find us on social media. And hey, we love hearing feedback and ideas and just meeting new Jesus-y people, so you can always reach out by email at connect at JesusCollective.com. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get on with the podcast. Welcome to Jesus Collective Podcast. In this month's episode, we are listening to a breakout room from our Unite Online conference. In this breakout room, we're exploring what it looks like for the church on the other side of COVID-19. We explore what leadership styles and teams are needed for us to innovate through COVID-19 to be thriving Jesus-centered communities on the other side, advancing the mission and engaging spiritually curious people in our post-Christian culture. We're joined in the podcast by thought leaders, Jeremy Duncan, who's the lead pastor at the Commons Church in Calgary, Alberta, and Mandy Smith, who's the lead pastor at University Christian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. The conversation is followed by a rich uh, dialogue and idea sharing from those who attended this online discussion. We think you'll enjoy this. Thanks for tracking with Jesus Collective, and we hope this podcast equips you for transformational leadership in these times. I am here today with two of my friends um, who I have amazing respect for and who are uh, just really um, the kinds of pastors that you hang out with, and at the end of the time together, you've thought some thoughts that you hadn't thought before. And uh, you probably have expanded room in your heart for Jesus just a little bit bigger because you've caught some spirit of Jesus from these pastors uh, that we get to interact with today. So I'm very thankful for Mandy Smith being here with us. Um, Mandy is the lead pastor of University Christian Church. Uh, this is a it's a campus church that's down in Cincinnati, and it's right near the it's the University of Cincinnati, right? Yep. yep. Um, their church is is unique. They have their own like fair trade coffee house, like in their church complex. Uh, Mandy's a just a she's a, a excellent writer and thought provoking, so she writes for Christianity Today. And um, her book, The Vulnerable Pastor, is a game-changing book. I, I'd encourage you to check it out. It's really, really good, how human limitations empower our ministry. Um, so she lives with her husband, Jamie, and children in Cincinnati. And then we're here with Jeremy Duncan. So we have, like, the uh, Canadian friend from Calgary, and we have our American friend from Cincinnati. And Jeremy's in Calgary. Uh, he's at a five-year-old Really innovative church. I encourage you to look up the Commons Church in Calgary. Uh, they're a multi-parish church. They're in the, the core of the city of Cal- Calgary. Um, Jeremy has um, 
theology degrees and is kind of a, a really good theology wonk. If you wanted to talk theology, Jeremy's going to make you think think about some things in the way that he articulates theology that is like quite thought-provoking and you're like, oh, I should write that down. That's good. Um, so here's how the commons describes themselves. They are a intellectually honest, spiritually passionate, doing the best we can to keep Jesus in the center of our thought and action. And I think that's a great description. So we're going to um, invite Mandy and Jeremy to share a few thoughts. And we'll do that for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And then we'll transition to us engaging together as much as we can. When we first planned this Unite Online, we didn't expect there to be 450 people and we didn't expect this room to be as big as it is. And so, unfortunately, we will not be able to be as, say, conversational as we maybe had first imagined. But I think we can still very much utilize the chat to share thoughts, to ask questions. And then uh, we'll unmute when it comes to sharing um, your thoughts. What are you hearing? Or maybe you have a question for Mandy or Jeremy or a question for the group. So this is really just a, a space for us to explore kind of together. So um, just to frame this out, how many of you have received dozens of notices in your inbox of a webinar related to COVID in some way? Raise your hand if you've seen dozens and dozens. Yes, I see those hands. So um, all of us are trying to figure out where the heck are we? <laughs> where is this going? We want to get ahead of it. Um, and at the same time, uh, we don't know what the future looks like. And so we really are just finite humans grasping at straws a little bit. And so my hope is from this conversation, this is not, here's the seven steps forward. Sorry, Christian bloggers. But more of this is postures and attitudes and questions and conversations that we might want to prioritize as we think about navigating uncharted waters as to what this thing called the Bride of Christ and the Church of Christ might look like on the other side of this. So that's really, I think, our hope and win for this time together. So I'd like to throw it over to Mandy. And um, Mandy, what give us give us a little bit of the status of your church seven weeks in, and then what are you seeing or observing today that you think may impact and influence tomorrow, like in the unknown future? Wow. Uh, yeah. So. Um... Our church, obviously, we're all doing everything from home. We've been trying to figure out ways to do that. Our, our ethos is and the culture are very, we want to be very human. We don't want to be a big performance. And in some ways, there are actually unique opportunities to do that online at the moment that you can almost be a little bit more human, less polished. And so we're trying not to just do what we do on Sundays and put it online. We're trying to, I've been reading stories to kids in the church online and um, trying to give parents a break. We had a kind of a dance off where we actually had a, a 
prayer dance day planned right before the shutdown that we couldn't have in person. So I posted a video of myself pray, prayer dancing and said, okay, it's your turn. And we made, we made a compilation video. So like in addition to putting up um, all the usual prayer times and sermons and worship and everything, we've been trying to have some playfulness as well. Um, but yeah, I also see a lot of people, feeling the desperation and whether it's because of job loss or concerns about health and, um, and ways that that's really difficult for some people and ways that some people are finding Jesus in new ways out of that too. So it's an interesting time. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things we, we were talking uh, earlier this week about maybe some, some navigational tools that you yeah. you've been playing with to help just create pace, a sustainable pace and a sustainable sense of presence um, as, as we are stepping through waters that are beginning to part just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing that came to mind for me was a quote I always like from Peter Steinke, a book that he's written called How Your Church Family Works. And he says, in periods of intense anxiety, what is needed is what is most unavailable, the capacity to be imaginative. And so to be imaginative, I think sometimes it's really good to actually remember things and um, and think kind of step back a little bit. And so for me, that's meant, of course, remembering scripture that uh, Colossians 1 reminds us that uh, we have already been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his glorious son that is already accomplished for us. And uh, so what does that look like in different places and in different times throughout the church? It's been really helpful for me to remember what I've read recently from Alan Crider about um, the patient ferment of the early church and how he says that things were small in the early church and something was brewing and it was happening through ordinary people and in ordinary places. And, um, they were experiencing all kinds of things, but they didn't have anywhere near the structures or the institutions that we have. And somehow something grew from that, which we still know today. And then to remember too, um, how, the church is still thriving in places all around the world who haven't got all the things, who've never had the things that we are worried about losing right now. Um, there's a wonderful documentary that you can watch the whole thing free on YouTube called Sheep Among Wolves about the church in Iran. And it basically says that it's the fastest growing church in the world. It has no buildings. It has no denominational structures or institutional stuff that we have. It's mostly led by women and it's just growing through ordinary people kind of gossiping the good news about what God, what Jesus has been doing in their own personal hearts and lives. And um, so those two things are really encouraging me to take me out of my own immediate context and time and place and remind me that uh, the kingdom is yeast that can work on that small scale. And we just need to learn that again because we're used to having big conferences and bookstores and radio stations and all that kind of Christian stuff. Um, And then the other thing that has been really helpful too is to remember the opportunities that are available in these kinds of times. I listened to a great podcast. The Betwixt podcast was interviewing um, Timothy Carson, who was talking about liminal space and saying how throughout history, throughout scripture, God has done some of his best work in that disorder time when we've lost something, but we haven't yet figured out what we're gaining. And it's very disconcerting. Um, I kind of work there all the time because I'm with college students and they've they've stepped away from childhood, but they haven't yet discovered what adulthood looks like. And um, so Timothy Carson was saying that in these times we're tested, 
We differentiate between what is real and not real. We choose to cast ourselves on our real hope and remember what our true calling in nature is. And so it's beautiful to remember that there's that kind of opportunity right now that's kind of a purifying moment. And then finally, um, the opportunity for revival that can come from this. I've been feeling called to pray for a revival for about five years now. And um, that word just had a lot of baggage for me. And when I've said it to other people, I've, I've got a lot of pushback because it has a lot of baggage for them. And I'm still not quite sure what it means, but I don't think it means some kind of big hype that human beings drummed up, but something that changes our hearts. And um, so I'll just read this one quote that about that, that I found really encouraging at this moment. Um, it was from a book called Power's Weakness and the Tabernacling of God by Marva Dawn, written in 2001. But it feels to me like she just wrote it this week. She says, times of uncertainty, especially when linked with a half-formed sense of expectancy, have in the past been fertile breeding grounds for religious revivals. Could the very opprobrium attached to Christianity by some media, could the very absence of religious experience in young adults? Could the very rejection of the institutional church in our society also be vehicles of weakness for God's purposes to be accomplished? I believe this could be a time of revival if we let weakness be the agent for God's tabernacling. I think we're all feeling that weakness. Maybe you are. I'm, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's wonderful to imagine weakness as an opportunity because that's not what my culture has told me weakness is. Yeah. Can you share with us, um, before we transition to Jeremy, some of the thinking on creativity? Uh, you yeah. were saying the other day that creativity is uh, the creative process and the creative brains, um, the different kinds of creative brains are going to be the people that we need at the table to mm -hmm. navigate our way to the other side, whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, so I was telling John about a book that I love. It's called a kick in the seat of the pants. And, um, he talks about not just the kinds of people that we need to have at the table, but the kinds of roles that we all need to take as we're going through the creative process. And so have you got the picture there, John? I sent you a picture. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to try to put it. Okay. Anyway, it's, it's just a cute little picture, but basically four different uh, roles that we have to play. First of all, to be an explorer. So imagine that you want to, you've been given the project to take a day to make um, something on the beach, to make something out of like stuff you find on the beach. Um, first, you're going to just walk around on the beach. You're just going to explore like a child and you're just going to pick up stuff and you're not going to know yet why it's important, important to you. But um, first, you have to search for ideas. First, you have to just gather things. And then we go into this artist place where we start bringing different things together, playing around with them, seeing how they come together in new ways. Then we go into the judge phase. So then once we've explored and played around a little bit, then we can decide, okay, what's actually helpful here? What's, what's worth keeping and what's not worth keeping? And then finally uh, the warrior phase where, where we say, right, I'm going to put this into place. And I think that this is really key because um, the judge is often where we want to begin 
And especially when we're anxious and we feel like there's a lot riding on this decision or this new idea. Um, but it's beautiful to actually have this invitation into play. Imagine just walking on a beach. Imagine just, you know, you can do that through conversation, through reading, through being in your neighborhood, just exploring ideas through prayer. Prayer is an amazing way to be an explorer. Um, to just gather a bunch of stuff. It may not be useful. It may not be meaningful, but it may not be until you get it all gathered that you start to see new possibilities, new connections. And then you can decide what's helpful and what's not helpful um, before you actually put it into action. So I think these are really good, um, good ways to understand what the process looks like and to realize that it's going to probably feel quite uncomfortable to be the explorer and the artist when we're feeling anxious. So um, just tease these out a little bit more for us. So you did a quick overview. So how does the yeah. explorer... Play okay, to the artist, so, play to the judge, play to the warrior. Right. So maybe this helps to give an illustration. So I give you all the project. We're all on vacation together and I say, after dinner tonight, we're going to have an art show and you're going to make sculptures out of things you find on the beach. This is like my perfect dream day on vacation. Maybe not yours, but um, so like first you all go exploring all day. You go onto the beach, you pick up driftwood, you pick up pebbles, you pick up dead crabs. I don't know what you find on the beach. And in, in the beginning, you're just like, oh, that's cool. Oh, oh, oh. And you're just grabbing, just collecting, gathering all kinds of stuff. There's no like, oh, that's dumb. It's just putting things in, in your little bucket. And then you take them home, you wash them off, you um, start putting them together and you say, oh, look, I found a lot of orange things. I wonder what we could do that's orange. Oh, look, you know, this, this hole in this shell fits perfectly with this piece of driftwood. We, maybe we could put the piece of driftwood in the hole in the shell. I don't know. I don't know what you would do with it. But, <laughs> but, you know, just playing with it and just thinking about new possibilities. And then the judge comes and says, yeah, I can see how some things are working together here some things aren't working together here we'll keep those shells in the bucket we'll keep these things for our piece we need to go and get some string or some glue or whatever to you know make some decisions now and put them together and then the then the warrior comes into place and says right we're making this happen we're going to stick with this decision we're going to put it out there in the world we're going to take a risk and put it in the art show and hope that everybody else likes it so does that help in some way i think that's what we're doing when we're writing sermons that's what we're doing when we're planning programs and um i think to add one more thing maybe i would say um it's like a trapeze artist almost comes after that of like you know being okay with risk if it if it falls and um and going back to the beginning again i think everything at the moment is we we can't we can't risk to be risk averse right now um we need to be willing to be experimental and we've started calling everything an experiment that we're doing with the church at the moment to actually acknowledge up front like we're going to try this tell us what you think <laughs> we may not do it again we may love it and it'll be what we do from now on let's try and see so, <laughs> and i love that it's very like professional but yeah, no, it's, uh, but it's normalizing. It's so maybe the church through this and on the other side is a church that can normalize not knowing and just name it yeah, and normalize trying new things and experimenting without trying to uh, pretend like we have answers that we don't have. Right. Uh, <clears throat> 
Because I honestly have never known how people can come up with five-year plans in the church because I have never known God to talk like that to me. <laughs> he talks like that to you. I'm really jealous, but he's basically like, here's the next thing. Do if you have a concrete step. five-year plan, you don't need God. So it exactly. makes it so much simpler. Yes, I would love to have that. Sometimes it would be easier than having to talk to God every day. <laughs> but um, I honestly think we should be good at this. You know, this is the way God leads us every day. And I think if we make a five-year plan, what if we learn something in, in step two of a 20-step plan that blows our minds and we want to do something different, you know? John, can I just yeah. add something there? Mm-hmm. Um, Mandy and I had a chance to talk about this a bit yesterday, uh, this model that she's using. Um, one that we've used at Commons is called the Colby Indicator. It's one of these personality type tests, but it's specifically around leadership and change. And one of the things that's been really helpful for our team pre-COVID, and now we're using now, is it takes similar ideas to this. So they call it, you know, the fact finder personality, the follow through personality, which is like, um, you know, tracking out all the possible implications of this. The quick start person who likes to just try something, um, move fast, break things. And then the implementer, which is the, the person who works out all the plans. And what what the Colby indicator talks about is all of those skills are in all of us, but we don't do them all in the same order. So some of us like to start with a blue sky and envision whatever's possible. Some of us like to try something first and then see what breaks. Some of us like to gather as much facts as we can. And sort of having a sense of who you are and what kind of church you are. Like if you're the kind of church that gathers all the facts first and then makes a decision, if you're the kind of church that just tries things and sees what works, works, or if you're the kind of church that you all sit back together and you say, okay, we could do anything. What are we going to do? And you throw ideas at the page. I think it's a really interesting way to think about this. And rather than trying to say, we've all got to do this the same way, say, we've all got to go through these steps in some order, but it's going to come through in the personality of the particular community that we're a part of. That's, that's kind of been a helpful way for us to think about it at Commons. I think that's great. And I think you think about like the, the four that Mandy referenced that are archetypal of the ones that you're referencing, mm-hmm. Jeremy. Um, when we're in anxiety, we, we probably lend more towards either the warrior who's over-functioning and yeah. just anxious energy is making them do things and get stuff done and make things happen, but it doesn't necessarily go anywhere or it's not strategic. Or you're like the, what was the one next to it? The, was it the? The judge. The judge, right? Or we go into like judging, this won't work, this won't work. And evaluating and getting paralyzed maybe Mm -hmm. by overthinking. um, When really what we need, the the ones who will help us on the early end are those those other two, or the artists and the explorer, are the ones who are going to help us see the possibilities Mm -hmm. of what could be. Because those other two are just helping us evaluate how to get it done and, and, and how to, you know, navigate it through into implementation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and what I would offer there is, is just the recognition that some people on your team, some people in your community, they're going to need to gather the facts and do all the judgment first before they can be yeah. creative. And that's yeah. okay too. Like give them space for that. Don't let them stay there. Like if we get stuck in that war, if we get stuck right, in that judge, right. nothing really happens. But there are some people who kind of like they need to work out all the, the bad possibilities first and then they can start to say, okay, now I can dream now. Now I can be creative. And a little bit of space for that can be good as long as we don't let ourselves get stuck. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So what are you seeing in your church? Uh, 
you know, give us a little little glimpse of the age and stage of the church that you're in. What are you sensing? And then, yeah, same question to you as Mandy. What what are you paying attention to today that you think is going to be a shaper or an impactor tomorrow? So Commons is only five years old. We're just in our sixth year now. So there's there's some things that come along with that is we don't have a lot of set traditions. We don't have... Uh, there's nobody in our church who's been here for 10 years or for 20 years or who's grown up here. And so there's a real gift in that, that commons can be quite adaptive and quite malleable. Um, there's a real sort of uncertainty and risk in that as well, that um, a real disruption like we're going through now um, has the, the capacity to really set us back almost to day one. And there can be a beauty in that as well. So we're in that, we're a fairly young community. So our median age is sort of in mid thirties and then, you know, uh, a range out from there. Um, and we're in the core of Calgary. Uh, we're also in Calgary right now, which is getting hit uh, both by the pandemic, but also by massive shifts in the global economy and particularly around um, oil and gas and what's happening. I mean, oil and gas was at negative value a while ago. People were literally paying money to take oil away. Um, now, that might be a good thing for our environment, but for a city like Calgary that depends on that, uh, you know, that's, that's creating a lot of anxiety and a lot of um, shifting in how people are thinking. So that's sort of our setting here. Um, I think on... Uh, Practical terms, some of the things that we're noticing right now is the first, uh, some of the language I'm going to use here is stolen from Praxis. If you're not following some of their stuff, they're, they're putting out some really good material right now thinking through this. But the first stage was what they called the blizzard, which was you put your head down and you run back for shelter. And that was when we just threw our services online and, and we tried to make do. We just got the news out and we went for that. The next stage is sort of the winter, which is you go out, you experiment a little bit more, but you have to keep coming back to the base. That's where we're in now, where we've shifted what we're putting online. We're not just putting our services online anymore. We're trying to put something that's a little more native digital out there. And then they're talking about the ice age. So the next you know, 18 months, or the whole future now where just things are totally different and things that used to work don't work. Um, things that would have never worked before do work now. And so we're playing with that. But one of the things I think is really interesting is there was a fear, I think, for a lot of us um, that we're trying to do embodied communities. We're trying to do a parish model that's local to specific neighborhoods in the city of Calgary. That as soon as we started putting services online, the consumer tendency in church was just going to skyrocket. Now that everybody had every church available to them, all they were going to do is pick the church with the best production value and everything. But that's been the exact opposite of what we're seeing in our people. And I think that's what most people are starting to experience is people are not shopping around for the best online church experience at all. They're actually craving some type of online connection to community, to parish, to the familiar faces that they knew. And I think this is one of the really interesting things for this next season for us as churches is that we begin to really lean into that felt need that people have, not to try to create you know, these online experiences and these productions, but to try to adapt to a digital connection, a real meaningful interaction with people, because that's, that's what people really want. And I think that is long-term going to translate into this real mix of online and hyper-localization that's going to happen. 
I don't think that when we get the all clear to go back to our churches, um, the online portion of what we will have been doing at that point for six months or a year is just going to disappear and go back to online. It's always going to be from now on this mix of um, online communication, hyper-tailored, narrow-casted connection, and people craving this in-person face-to-face encounter and moving back seamlessly between them. And we have no idea what that looks like at Commons, but those are the types of things we're trying to figure out. The other side of it would be that our model that we had for church at Commons, which was, let's be honest, for most of us, pretty Sunday-centric, that was never a pure expression of church that was always a concession to cultural forces that were at play in Calgary. People understood church in that way. We leaned into something that was familiar to them to get them to encounter Jesus. Well, now we've got this opportunity to totally reimagine what do our in-person gatherings look like? When do they happen? Um, does it, did it ever need to be in the building the same way, getting everyone together on a Sunday? Maybe church can be smaller gatherings all throughout the week in all kinds of different settings. Like maybe some of these ideas that we have thought were deeply tied to church for the last, let's say, 500 years since the Reformation, maybe those things always were a concession to a particular cultural moment. And maybe now we have a new cultural moment where we can rethink all of these forms, these patterns, these shapes that we've used. And I think Mandy was talking a little bit about this, this distinction between what's the empire and what's the church. Those things are hard sometimes. Some things we clearly know our empire, some things we clearly know our church, but like our facilities, our church buildings, which one are those? Well, they're a bit of both. Now we have the opportunity to say, okay, well, what if we started from scratch? What if we didn't need buildings anymore? What if we did need buildings? What would that look like? So these are the types of questions that we're trying to ask ourselves at Commons right now is how do we do this mix of online and hyper-local? How do we totally reimagine what our core experience of church was and, and what it will be in the future? It's really good. Thank you. We want to uh, open it up for comment and uh, question if you have a question for Jeremy or Mandy as how they're navigating and what they're envisioning, or you have something that you think is really helpful and relevant for to share with the collective that uh, we need to be thinking about together. Uh, feel free to use the chat feature and share um, questions, comments, and ideas. Would love that. And then you can also use the raise your hand uh, button and we will uh, try to spot you. Uh, and then we'd love for you to just verbally, if you raise your hand, just verbally interact. This is a question for uh, Jeremy um, and Mandy as well. Uh, just for context, would you be able to just give us a little idea of uh, the scope of your ministry in Cincinnati or, or there in Calgary, uh, just to kind of help understand context a little bit. Do you, what do you mean by scope? Uh, who are you? What part of town you in? Maybe oh, okay. church, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our church was founded as a ministry to the university of Cincinnati campus, but it's also a neighborhood. So it's not a campus ministry alone. It's a campus ministry combined with a regular neighborhood congregation. Um, we have around 300 or so folks and about half of those are college students and the rest are everybody else. 
Yeah, so we are a five-year-old church. We started um, in the core of Calgary. We now have two parishes. Uh, One, uh, our original one in Kensington is a neighborhood here. And then we started another one about five minutes away. Uh, We run five services on Sunday, about uh, between 800 and 1,000 people on a normal weekend uh, before COVID. While we're waiting for a question or a comment, um, Jeremy, you had said something the other day about your Gen Zs um, or your Gen Zs. Um, I'm bilingual in Canada. They call it Gen Z and obviously the U S is Gen Z. You said that they're nowhere to be found. Uh, yeah, I'm curious if you, if you, uh, what that means and then what does that mean in your mind for whatever's beyond COVID? So one of the things, yeah, we're finding is we're having a really tough time connecting with Gen Z. And so we're calling that, so let's say, sort of 15 to 25. Um, a lot of that age group has kind of dropped off the radar for us. We, um, like I said, we run five services on a Sunday. Uh, we have a service at 7 p.m. And we're right near the, the University of Calgary. And so that service tends to be populated by a lot of undergrad students um, in that sort of early 20s range. And we just have not found those people tuning into a live stream and, you know, chatting in the live chat, that kind of stuff. We've been reaching out to them and connecting with them. And at least initially in the first few weeks, the feedback was sort of, ah, we don't really need that. Um, Same thing with our sort of youth program, which is ours is pretty nascent in a young church. Um, families with sort of teenagers, you know, tend to take a while to, to get here. So we have a small youth group, but we found, um, you know, getting in touch with them, getting them connected, doing small groups, these types of things is just not, they don't have the same need for that, that millennials, Gen X and boomers seem to have. We're all sort of like, oh, we're cooped up in our houses. Now we desperately need this connection. What we're finding with Gen Z is they're like, well, I already have my online connections. I already have my online friends. Um, I'll just lean into those now. And they're not sort of looking to the church the same way. And so we're trying to figure out what that means. Does that mean we should have been more embedded in their digital lives before this? Um, Or does this mean, you know, when this comes through, they're going to be looking more to to reconnect in person. But this is one thing we're really trying to figure out. And and we'd love to hear from anybody in the in the Zoom call now, if if you're having luck connecting with that sort of 15 to 25 age range, um, because we're finding the broadcast the put the thing on the line and you tune in and watch it is, is not meaningful for them. So maybe we need to be on TikTok. We're trying to figure that out. But but how do we interact back in discord? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We have a Slack workspace that we use, but Discord, the same type of thing. That actually has been um, somewhat useful. I think Michael Bouchard has, you guys have your hand up. Yeah, go for it. Unmute and um, yeah, I, uh, hi guys. Uh, I'm a, uh, sorry about the lighting. We, we don't have any lights in this room. Oh, now. you're good. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a student director at a, at a church out in Detroit Metro, um, which if you watch the news, I mean, Detroit Metro was hit pretty hard in Michigan. So um, it's probably going to be a while before we come go back to any form of, you know, church as we used to know it. Um, but one of the, uh, I wanted to kind of echo what you said, uh, Jeremy, about the, the, how tough it is to connect with our high school through college age right now. Um, Cause they don't, they really haven't wanted to engage in YouTube or our YouTube streams. They haven't wanted to engage in our zoom chats. Um, um, our middle schoolers have. So we see that as a, you know, kind of us, like we found some traction with that, um, but not with high school. 
Um, but one way we have found some, and, and kind of like a, I would say like a temporary um, outreach right now is to actually go to their streets. So okay. I, or their leaders, um, we have encouraged them to go and like drive up to their houses um, and stay in the streets to so stay, you know, from, from our safe distance. Uh, from a safe distance. Um, but I mean, they've shown up with candy, they've shown up with their snacks, or they just shown up just to play games. Um, and we found that when we've done that, it has helped to bring back some engagement cool. and afterwards. So almost like a reminder of, you know, the, the church still existing, even when we're not building. I'd like to touch on that too. Like um, one of the things that I've found Along with doing that, I've also emailed or not emailed, mailed snail mail letters, and my my girls as my group, as a group leader um, really respond to that, and that engages them and want and makes them want to come into those Zoom meetings as well. Mm. Excited to see us after getting a letter in the mail, which we don't really do anymore, right? So that's kind of it, it mm. takes time, but it also takes um, discipline and intentionality, right? Oh, that's great. Thank you. That's for cool. Those, those comments. Um, Michael has his hand up. Thanks, John. Hey, brother. So question for obviously Jeremy and, and Mandy, as you are reimagining what it's going to look like post COVID-19, uh, my thought is, do you as a community have any guiding principles that you're starting to form uh, as you begin to brainstorm? Uh, if that's mm -hmm. clear, great. If not, I can expand on it a little bit more, but Jeremy, you're, you're nodding your head. So I'm thinking yeah. it's uh, landing somewhere. Thanks. Yeah, well, we're, we're trying to figure that out right now. So um, again, a little more background on Commons. Commons has grown really quickly. So we intended to be a small local neighborhood church. Um, and then the community grew and we had, you know, a thousand people within a couple of years. And so we started, instead of trying to find a bigger venue, we started adding more services. And so, you know, within a couple of years, we were running five services on a Sunday. We're looking at um, the same principles that, drove us to do more services and more parishes rather than bigger gatherings as instructive for what comes through on the other side of COVID, because I don't think people are going to be excited to be back. I think people want to be back in touch with each other. I don't think people are going to want to be back into a room with a thousand people for quite a long time psychologically. And so we're trying to say, okay, well, how do we push even farther into the concepts that drove us in those directions. So maybe church becomes rather than five services of 200 people each, can, what, how could we do church if it was 10 services of 80 people each or 20 services of 50 people each? Like, how would we do that? We have no idea how, but I think this is what people are, um, is, Again, I don't want to say what people are needing, but I think this is what people are looking for is that sort of we're online, we're going to move seamlessly back and forth, but it's going to need to be some face-to-face -face meaningful interaction with each other. Not just being in a room with a lot of people, but encountering them, getting to know them, sharing life with them, all of that kind of stuff. And so we're trying to even take some of those ideas and drive them even farther. Um, how would we do church for a thousand people if our max concept of church 
you know, was reduced down to 50 people who actually really know each other and live maybe even in a hyper local neighborhood. Right now we, we're pretty neighborhood focused, but what if we got down to like, you know, 10 or five block radiuses and we gathered those people in different ways? I have no idea how we do this, but those are the types of questions we're starting to ask. And they are, um, they're intensifications of the same principles that were shaping us before COVID. Um, well, you, yeah. Mandy? Yeah, it's interesting for me at the moment because my daughter is getting married in three weeks and um, we had a huge 250-person pe- thing planned and suddenly we have a 25-person thing planned and it's very mm. different. And so what she was pretty upset. And so I was instead of saying, let's not focus on what we can't do, let's focus on what we were hoping to accomplish with the day and what we have got still that we can use. And so I think that's a really good way to think, well, remembering what my goals are let's look at what we have got and what we can do and how how can we use what we what we do have to still accomplish those goals that we it's a good moment to be remembering what our goals even were in the first place um and i'm remembering as well i think it was in a malcolm gladwell book talking about human scale and basically saying that all creatures based on the size of their brain have have tendencies to gather in different size groups um and so human beings i think it's about 120 or 150 and there are all kinds of examples of um organizations that have and and like different traditional cultures that have just naturally gathered in because our brain can handle about 120 to 150 relational connections and so i didn't do this on purpose but our church our church space where we worship on a sunday morning holds around that many people and it just feels like human scale it feels like i could know this many people and so Mm -hmm. even if we have to have a lot of services it's a it's a doable space and then thinking as well about the ideas i know 3dm used these these ideas a lot and i can't remember the name of the psychologist from the 60s but who talked about like different size gatherings allow different kinds of things to happen like we learn in different ways in different spaces we connect in different ways in uh, public space in um, social space in private space and so to think again i've often i've often been frustrated that on a sunday morning I'll, i'll often say to a new person oh i'm sorry that you're not really feeling connected yet you really like the services you really like the coffee but you know yeah sunday morning isn't really a great time to really get to know other people and i'm like why not like what is wrong with us what can we do differently to make that different next time so those are some of the things that are going around in my head we, so we were in this cohort with the Jesus Collective, and there was a church that was much larger than us, and they were saying similar things. They're saying maybe now the big gathering with everyone together with a thousand people or more, maybe that's quarterly now. You know, it's a couple times a year, and it's fun, and, and you're right. There's a thing that happens when we get that many people in the room together, and it's good, and it's holy, and it's sacred. But maybe now that is not the normative moment. The normative moment is the 80 people, the 100 people. And then these big gatherings come together. And I, th- I think there's something interesting for that, like our churches and a church like Commons, that maybe now it's, it's once a quarter we all get together. And on the regular, we're gathering in these smaller forms. And we were already trying to do that. But I think now this accelerates that. Mm. It's interesting before this happened, uh, before they shut, like in Ontario, where at you know, you can't meet in a group more than five. Um, But before they did that, we couldn't meet in a group uh, under 250. And so, but you, you, you could meet in groups that were say 50. So uh, our home church met on a Sunday 
to watch the live stream together and, and cook breakfast. And at the end of that, we're like, boy, I wish we could do this every week. Cause this was pretty stinking, <laughs> pretty stinking awesome. And I wonder if there's going to be more of that, yeah. uh, kind of smaller clusters meeting clusters of smaller churches meeting, and then meeting maybe, uh, every other week in groups of 50 and those kind mm-hmm. of rhythms. Mm-hmm. So we have, so we have every, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, we have time for one more question. I want to get to Keith Miller had his hand up and would love to hear what he has to say. Sure. Thanks, John. Uh, there's a lot of overlap here, but one of my questions was as for any, any of the three of you, as Anabaptists who value this church expression of community being one of the ways that Christ is, is truly embodied, one of the ways that we remain a Jesus-centered church is by being a community-centered church that's really grounded on, on relationships. As we look at all of this and think about the possible hybrids and stuff, do you already have specific sticking points that you're thinking, these are lines in the sand, though, that we don't give up? Five minutes left in this first round of breakup. Five minutes left. So, well, yeah, I, are, I do think the lines? gathering together becomes important. No, there's a pause there, but <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what, the, whatever the size is, I don't think church can be digital and virtual. Um, it doesn't mean that virtual and digital and online space can't be a seamless transition back and forth and part of our new normal. But I do think that sort of gathering together, that being together, um, you know, sharing the Eucharist, you know, a meal, these types of things. I mean, I think these become, um, you know, core to what it means to be a church. And then the other thing I would say would be the, however it is that we serve each other and we serve together. Um, again, how that looks with scale changing and with formats changing, I think that that looks all over the place, but consistently throughout church history, that's what you've always seen is the church coming together, gathering together, being together, and then serving each other and serving the world around them. And we're going to have to find ways to do that. Like, like we can't turn church into simply, the broadcast of information through a live stream that that's not going to work. And I don't think that's going to sustain itself. There's going to need to be something, but does it need to be a hundred people? Does it need to be a thousand? Does it need to look like this or that? I mean, I, that's where I was saying at the start, our model for what we think church looks like now was always a concession to our historical moment. Um, the principles of gathering, the principles of serving each other, the principles of serving the world, those can be expressed in a lot of different ways. So can I share, I know we're almost out of time. Can I share something that helps me with the anxiety of all of this, like trying to reimagine everything? Mm-hmm. Um, the world's yoke, you know, Jesus talks about his yoke. The world's yoke says, respond, respond, respond. Question, respond, problem, respond. And, oh, here it is. Um, so the top one is the world's yoke. And um, so we have this desire to respond. And sometimes it has happy outcomes, as you can see with a smiley face. And that just says, that just confirms us in it. We think like, oh, okay, we'll just keep doing this. This is working for us. Sometimes it has unhappy outcomes. And we desperately still think like, oh, what's wrong with me? I must be doing something wrong because everybody else, especially people who aren't in the mid- majority often feel like the responding doesn't work for them. And so there's a little red dotted line there because when they're just desperately trying to respond in our own strength and understanding doesn't work, it gives us this wonderful opportunity to go to the second option, which is Jesus yoke. And he says, 
come to you all who come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest which sounds really great right now and then he says take my yoke upon you and learn from me and so this idea that like his yoke is almost like we're sheltering under his wing and it's also his yoke we are we are connecting to him as the vine and also we are bearing a yoke at the same time and so i use this often with my staff and at my church that it's not respond 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 we do have a response but that's not our first thing to do first we rest we rest under jesus yoke because he's ultimately the one who's carrying the load and so you know when you're in an elders meeting and there's a big crisis that hits the fan our first thought is it's time to respond and it's our job to say that is how maybe we do it in the world but under jesus yoke we stop which sounds like the opposite of what we feel like we should do right now we rest in scripture in prayer in listening and breathing and we receive and in um whether that means just having a new way of seeing or actually getting an idea or an answer then we respond from that place and that comes that's fruitfulness that's not desperation that's not scrambling in our own strength um and even when that has negative outcomes so to speak when that doesn't work out in the way that we want it to we just need to remember that Jesus was led to the cross by responding to the spirit and so it's more opportunity to rest even further in the the spirit and so when all this hit the fan i said to my staff like you're going to want to fill your days to justify your existence i know i do um whatever you do you know apart from the basic things of answering emails and the things you know you have to do with the extra time that you have um rest every morning rest in the lord and whatever you receive from the lord that's your job for the day um and so this is what we're doing going forward too to to just continue in that like we're already doing that we can keep doing that the response will probably change over time but the rest we already know mm. and so the lord is not surprised by any of this the lord knew what was happening and uh he has a way if we just um stop the temptation to be responding so quickly we definitely have a response but that's not the first thing um and so release that control rest in him every morning and um you know we might get a face in our head of someone that we need to email or call we might um have a sense of a video we need to put online of a reflection or something goofy that we need to do in our family and just do those things So I'm doing that on a daily basis but I guess to answer your question about like what's coming next that's kind of what I'm planning <laughs> that is my plan <laughs> that's for the future as well <laughs> It hasn't let me down Yeah no and it, it's and his it, church and it wouldn't if if we're starting our day saying um Jesus what do you want me to do today and we actually believe that he's going to tell us right right like he actually is going to say here's what here's what you should do today and if we did it it would actually be what he would want us to do that day thanks for listening and hey don't forget to check in at jesuscollective.com where you can learn more about us join our mailing list find info about upcoming online and in person events all that good stuff or you can find us on social media too and listening is such an important part of our journey especially in these early days so you can feel free to reach out to us with ideas and feedback and suggestions you can always connect with us by email at connect@jesuscollective.com at we'd love to hear from you